general nerdery. I'm just going to warn the entire uh, podcast in advance. I have Hardcore Friday brain today. It is an hour and a half from my weekend, basically. Maybe two hours. Who knows how long this episode is going to be. And I can feel it with the way that my brain is slowing down. Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Says the person about to go into their Monday. Uh, don't want to. Yeah, no, I feel... Eh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Anyway. Welcome to General Nerder, your podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And, uh... I guess we're kind of, we are this is finished the, for now with, right, with Grant Morrison. The The plan was uh, we were going to do all of the little side story Grant Morrison JLA stories, but we fucked up the examinations and Tyler didn't get a chance to read probably easily the most famous of the three, three <laughs> things we were going to read here. Uh, JLA Earth 2? Yeah. Probably the most famous. I will talk a little bit about it when we come up, just because I had some thoughts, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, <clears throat> we will save that for, I don't know, we keep talking about doing Patreon at some point. This would be a great little, like, Patreon bonus episode or something. We'll figure it out. We got summer coming up. It's easier to plan things in summer. Right? I just feel like it's, you're not in that weird, like... It doesn't get dark like, at four o'clock. Exactly. It, you don't feel like going to bed at five because it's already been dark for an hour. Like, that's how I feel about it. Um, what have we been ingesting this week, though? You know, most of my stuff is repeat, and I've been saying that a lot lately, and as I was sitting here thinking, I was like, oh, man, I need to watch, read more new stuff. <laughs> uh, getting going on Star Trek Picard, finally. I'm only three episodes in, so I'm not that deep. It's Star Trek Picard is one of the more controversial Star Trek things ever made because everyone was expecting next generation season eight Mm -hmm. and it's well, the final season is much more that because it brings in the entire original cast, which they should have done from the beginning. Like I do agree with that critique. Uh, This is not. I've heard from a number of people that like, if that's what you want, season three is so standalone that you can just ignore the first two seasons. Yes. Including from people who wrote on season two. But I'm not gonna. Yeah. Right, I know you're I not like going to, but I might. <laughs> Honestly, it's good so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I'm three episodes into a season, but there's only like 12 episodes. It is, it's introduced some new characters I like. I enjoy uh, both Rafi, who is a major part of season three, and Rios. I think his name is Rios. I've only met him for one episode, but he's fun so far. Patrick Stewart is not nearly as kind of doddering as some people portray him as like mm-hmm. while talking about reviewing the show. He's, I mean, he's 80. Yeah. He's an old man. Now. So like he's clearly old, but I don't know for some reason when people are like, Oh, Patrick Stewart's ancient now. And he is showing his age more than he was before, mm-hmm. but maybe it's because the last project I saw him make like most recently make was Logan, where he is playing someone who is, Old and doddering and dying, like, it just hit. I was expecting, I don't know, a little more doddering. I was like, wow. Oh, Logan. He was acting a lot more than I realized. And and I knew he was doing a great acting job, but, like, yeah. It's good. I hate to say it, like, it just, it's... I get why people who want next-gen season 8 are pissed off that that's not what they're getting. And I keep being like, 
Just call Worf and Jordy and you will solve most of the problems you're having already. I'm <laughs> just from the reviews I've heard of it. I'm excited for whenever you do get to season three. I have watched a lot of YouTube clips from season three because I could not hold back my absolute adoration of Michael Dorn. <laughs> <laughs> Any of them, all of them adore all of them. But Michael Dorn is you know, Worf is my guy. And then, let's see, I read Defenders Beyond, which is the most recent Al Ewing Defenders series. Al Ewing is top two writers working at Marvel right now. Mm -hmm. So fucking good. And his Defenders book is one of my favorite things I've ever read of his. So picking up the second one was an absolute no-brainer as soon as I realized it was out. I don't like it immediately as much as I liked the first one, but it might be the better book of the two of them. Okay. But it requires a lot. It's going to require more rereading. There's some Grant Morrison stuff to it in that kind of way. Okay. There's a whole lot of like the nature of story and it does some really, really interesting things with Loki. Okay. Who, uh, Al Ewing, one of his first, I don't, I did. I don't think it was one of his first comics. It was where I first were, where I first noticed him. And I think it was one of the first ones where like he really started getting attention from Marvel. Like this was like his launch piece was Loki agent of Asgard, which was a spinoff from young Avengers. And this is his sequel to defenders. It is his sequel to Loki agent of Asgard. It's his like further examination of a few other things that he's brought up. It's a sequel to the fucking original secret wars and the most recent secret wars in its own ways. Like, Okay. It's odd, and I want to reread. I kind of feel like I have to reread all of his previous stuff to really know that I'm getting everything, which is simultaneously, like, annoying, and I appreciate it, because there is something fun about writers who utilize, like, past work that they've done. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I think it's mostly just fucking Marvel Snap, and I'm still mad at you. But No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, when you said yours have been mostly repeats, mine has too, because there's just been shows I've been keeping up on because they're going week to week. So, mm -hmm. like, Ted Lasso. Oh, Ted Lasso. Also, I realized I did with season three what you did with season two and thought it was two episodes shorter than it was. Yeah, same. And I then like, I saw, like, coming next week, and I was like, good, because that was not a finale. <laughs> I realized before that, but, I mean, it's when I was talking last time, I was like, you need to finish some shit up. And they do, but they had a little more time. I feel like these past, so, I didn't feel it until this episode, but with this latest episode, I feel like they are actually starting to... Like bring things up. together. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's been more of uh, kind of almost more of an emotional story arc than an actual story arc for the past few episodes. Okay, so spoilers moving on because I just need to be able to talk about this yeah. a little bit. The the episode that is possibly my least favorite episode of the series, which does not mean it was a bad episode, is the one where Jack breaks up with Keeley. Okay, which I think is the last one we talked about, right? At least on the podcast. I that's the one right after Amsterdam, I believe. Yes. It's yeah. the one where a uh, nude video of Keely gets released, right. which by this is so interesting because a couple like a couple different like pop culture podcasts I listen to and stuff all thought that that was one of their favorite 
episodes of the entire series, then you weren't that big of a fan of it. And I watched that episode and I was like, I kind of feel right down the middle. Like, cool. It's kind of just a normal Ted Lasso episode to me. It's, as I said, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's the one that I enjoyed the mm-hmm. least. I mean, there's not really a terrible episode of Ted Lasso. No, no. Uh, and I just part found of it the was response just, to that episode wild. Because I kept seeing it across the board. Like, like some of the conversation, mm-hmm. I think it's a really good thing to have a public conversation about what do you do with stuff like nudes? And what do you do when someone's exposed like that? Like, that's a real thing. But it made me viscerally uncomfortable, which it's supposed to do. It did that job well. Mm-hmm. But there was a whole lot of stuff like that fucking Roy conversation with Keeley. And it's obvious that he fuck like, as soon as he's saying it, he's like, I fucked up. This was wrong. But I hated that. Mm-hmm. That whole conversation. The fucking Nate. I think that's the episode where Nate tried to make his own version of the Diamond Dogs. <laughs> yeah. The and it was hounds. so uncomfortable. I had to leave the room. <laughs> like, I just. I I, I was expecting the meeting itself to be more uncomfortable, but what had me rolling was that he had tried to invite Rupert to it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, really, dude? You thought you thought Rupert was going to? I think Nate is going to have an episode with the Diamond Dogs before the season ends. There's two episodes left. I think he needs to have one with them. Well, I was just thinking about this earlier today after having watched this latest week's episode, and I'm pretty sure the finale is going to be Ted leaving and Nate becoming the new head coach. Roy should become the new head coach. I think, I think, I don't think Roy wants it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm so torn. There's a whole lot of conversation about this. Uh, I don't think Ted should leave England. I think they've set it up from the first episode where they were talking about maybe we should fire him. And they, it's like a throwaway, like, one-second line, but they're like, something needs to change because this isn't going the way that we need it to. Although other stuff starts to, like, gel. And, I mean, honestly, Ted seems to kind of be right in the, like, we need to... No, I agree. They seem to be setting up. Mm-hmm. But I have this interesting thing. There's this whole thing of, like, Ted, you need to go be where your son is. And I... I get that. I know. I remember when my mom moved back into town because she had not lived in the same town as me when I was a kid for a couple of years. And that was a really big thing. And like, oh, my God, my mom is here. Mm-hmm. But. Ted's life is better. In England. And as much as it's weird and as much as it sucks and is rough for the kid whose name I'm blanking right now. Yeah, I don't remember it either. He is better off. With Ted in a, like, good, healthy environment. Like, Ted has built this family and this community. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I also, like, there keeps being rumors that there will be a Ted Lasso without Ted Lasso, whatever it ends up being called. And I, I mean, I'll watch it. And I'm sure it'll be good. But, like, I just am not that interested in it. Um, I'm more... Like I said, because they share half of the same writer's room, I'm more excited for that possibility after having watched Shrinking. If that makes sense. Like, just sort of seeing how those writers can continue to write people Mm -hmm. without that kind of character around. Oh, I'm sure. And they've all learned enough from Ted that it can stand on it. But I don't Mm -hmm. know. There's just something about... 
even Ted Light episodes, which there's been a lot more of this season, which kind of feels like they're weaning us off of Ted, but keeping the others going, has, like, anytime Ted brings in, it just brings a, like, nice feeling to the the episodes. Yeah. I, w- I, th- I think, I don't think, well, I think it makes sense that he's not going to be coaching the team anymore if you're bringing the show to the end anyway. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you don't have any sense of finality and people will wonder what, what the continued story I, is. I agree. I just also, like, there's three options. Ted stays and the show continues. Ted leaves and the show continues. Ted leaves and the show ends. Kind of. I think not only is it going to be Ted leaving, I think Beard's going to stay. I think so, too. Which is interesting. Yeah. And I had one more. I don't know, though. I had something else, but it's already slipped my mind. I think Roy is... I mean, I I agree with you. I don't necessarily think Roy wants it, but I think they've been kind of setting up Roy to be taking over. And a whole part of Nate's story was sort of like... um, He got theoretically everything he ever wanted, and then it didn't fix his problems. And, like, he always... You know, that maybe not having to strive to be number one is okay. But I think that's going to be it. Like his not striving to be number one is what's going to actually put him in the number one. I, I see an argument for it, but I also just think it would be disrespectful to Roy and the growth the character has made and his commitment to the team to bring in someone else. And I think Nate works best as somebody's number one guy. But I don't know. I don't. There's so many things that could happen. There's two episodes left. I think the Roy and Keeley getting back together, like the the jump to there, was a little unearned. That he went from like apologizing to they're a couple again. It seems like. But I've been wanting them to be a fucking couple again for so long that I'm. I, I'm okay fine with yeah. it. I figured out yesterday when I was watching this. I, I rewatched. Have you watched the most recent episode? Mm-hmm. Okay. I. Um, I figured out what bothered me so much about Jack. And I mean, Jack was always portrayed to be like, there's red flags, there's warning signs. And like, I was trying to keep an open mind, but I never, Mm -hmm. I never liked her. It is the moment that she got, it's, it's not even the moment that she got any pushback. She bounced it is the it ties into what uh, Rebecca was talking about in season one with Jamie of the complete lack of accountability that Jamie had and the complete lack of accountability that Jack takes where like not only did she shut down KGPR and then not even tell Keely like told uh, uh, Barbara that she was going to tell right. Keely and then didn't not only did she not even do that even over a fucking email like she was said she was going to do when we do see her texts about it she was like oh sorry argentina time zone fucked me up this is so fucked up there's nothing i could do which means she knows that it's fucked up but she's just choosing not to take any responsibility for something that i am certain she has some level of hand in like she's not the only person in this group but oh my god how about that fucking rebecca though like i think i have that much in cash on me 
it did make me be like, oh, fuck, Rebecca's the 1%. <laughs> Rebecca had such a good episode here, and I am so confused. Okay, we're not just going to talk about Ted Lasso this entire episode, but this is, I have been thinking about this episode for almost a week now. <laughs> I am so interested in the direction they took Rupert this episode because he's not the same. I can get away with anything. I can just torture Rebecca that he was before, but he still has that like, so entitlement, but like, I, I honestly feel like he brought in Rebecca cause he wanted, I don't know. I think he's decided he wants Rebecca back. Well, I think they're setting up what's essentially going to be her happy ending. Mm hmm. In that, by the end of it, Rupert's going to realize that he is miserable. Yeah. Whether she just, sees it or not, I think they're going to at least let us see it. And, like, even though he was a womanizer and definitely wasn't faithful to her, he she was also the woman that he stayed married to for a long time. And she divorced him. Mm -hmm. She left him, which it sounds like in a lot of cases... He's the one that bounces when he wants. But like, you know, changing Miss Cake for Miss Bread, which Cece thinks is the funniest goddamn joke. <laughs> uh, God, I loved that description of manic pixie corporate girl. That was so good. <laughs> uh, she was uncanny valley to me. She creeped me the fuck out. Yeah. Um, but like this episode was both like he realized why he was attracted to her in the first place. And she got to be like, no. Fuck off. Fuck off. That moment. God, Anthony Head's a good actor. Like, it, it was a very quiet moment of the look on his face after she turned him down. And I think he had always kind of thought that, like, the torturing her had just been part of the ongoing game that those two just sort mm -hmm. of had. Or I guess he thought was a game and for her was legitimate hardcore abuse. Right. It's a... <laughs> It's a weird comparison, but Rupert's little bit in this episode reminded me kind of of what Butcher did with Mab in the past two Dresden Files, where we get those little glimpses of like, oh, Mab used to be human. Yeah, there, whereas there like, is a person underneath. We've always whereas said for that, the like, past two seasons, it's been like Rupert is the worst, and this was like the one episode where we're like. They were married for like 10 years. And he's still the worst, but showing us those human aspects is a really interesting mm -hmm. choice. I don't know. I still think this season is the most all over the map as a season of the three, but there's still two episodes to tie it together. But I don't know. It, it's just, it's all been good. I've not yeah. been unhappy with any episode. I love the Amsterdam episode. That was a good episode. Let's see, I've also been keeping up with Barry, which only has one episode left, and... Oh, so you're going to be a mess next week. They could fumble this last episode, and it's going to be one of my top series of all time. It's incredible, but it this last couple seasons have been heavy, and it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, and just how many of the characters end up dead. Not everyone's surviving this last episode, that's definitely... That's definitely not happening. Well, this series about Hitman, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Not everyone. Who's really good at it. <laughs> Although there's been a, a spoiler, but there's been a time jump, so I'm not sure how good he is at it anymore either. Um, 
the time jump sort of threw a lot of things up in the air and made the season even weirder and insanely tense for how little has happened in a couple of the last episodes. Also Ted Lasso energy right there. It's just been like edge of your seat and all it is is like people sitting in a room talking to each other and you're like, yes, but this is going on. Why why are we wasting time on this? Oh no. Oh God, what's happening? <laughs> loving, 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 loving the show. Um, and then Marvel Snap, which is, I needed, wanted to bring this up. This is it's felt, felt a little targeted, felt a little called out. I, uh, I've been mentioned since I got it in the game that my main card is discard deck. And, you know, I went infinite last season and I've been checking out things here or there. Like they nerfed the fuck out of discard. No, decks. no, no, no. I, uh, God, no, no. I hope they don't either. Um, they're not, mm, it wouldn't be on the slate for a little bit because the meta is about to get shook up, but I'll. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, I'm just like a little bit more in the community, like checking out things like every once in a while, I'll check out the subreddit, but that's, there's mostly a bunch of whining going on over there. There's a couple content creators on, on YouTube that I'll check out their videos from time to time because I need shit to watch while I'm on the treadmills at the gym. Mm -hmm. um, and I've come to find out that uh, Discard is one of the only card uh, deck archetypes that gets played where there is uh, a stereotype about the discard players. Everyone else plays ar different archetype decks. Uh, discard apparently is a lifestyle, which I felt pretty called out for after uh, brute forcing my unoptimized discard deck from 70 to 100 last season. And because of that, discard players are also known for having just the most tricked out decks that you will run across when you're playing against them online. Uh, which I found out two and a half weeks into an entire month dedicated to beautifying my discard deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've just gotten to the point. I don't, I've only gotten one like variant so far, but I'm just starting to get variants and I'm like, okay. Right. And I'm not going to spend money on these, but like, I don't, but like you, <laughs> like you accumulate gold and shit pretty fast in that game anyway. Yeah, At least I I've, feel like you do. I've just been spending it on energy. Oh. Should uh, I not be doing that? That's I mean, just, no, that's valid. Um, I have so much shit that needs upgrading because I'm playing more than the missions are coming out. So. Oh, yeah, dude. I have probably like 50 cards that could be upgraded right now. And that's not a hyperbole. I think I have about 50 cards that could be currently upgraded. Um I just only care about upgrading the ones in the decks that I'm actually using at the time. Mm, so. Fair enough. But that's because I have always been a whore for fashion in any game that I play, so tricking out my decks is right up my alley. Oddly, this one doesn't kick in my fashion stuff as much as it kicks in my, like, must-collect-more-comic-books. Mm. Or, in this case, more characters from comic. I just want to see how they're portraying the different characters and, like, if I care. And we are... Uh, four hours away from High Evolutionary dropping, and I have enough collector's tokens to pick him up at drop. I think I'm going to, not because he's going to be an insanely good card, but because it's he's going to have one of the biggest impacts across the board of any card that we've seen yet. Interesting. Um, have you looked up anything mm -hmm. about how I don't, I, I play the game. I don't get involved in any of the other, uh, high evolutionary is going to drop as a four, four, 
which isn't that powerful, but his ability is as long as he's in your deck, any cards that you have that have no abilities gain a secret ability. So, so for Patriot decks. So you wouldn't be able to use him with Patriot because suddenly those cards have, have an ability. Abilities. So he, they won't, won't get buffed by Patriot. However, it's going to come up with all new archetypes because suddenly things like um, Abomination, who's normally a 5-9, now has the ability that he costs one less for every card that the opponent has that has a negative to their power. Interesting. Okay. So if you play Scorpion... It's going to be a Herbert deck. <laughs> uh, or like, um, what is it? Misty Knight. If you have any unspent energy at the end of your turn, she gives a random one of your cards a plus one. Oh, that's cool. Should just do that with Misty Knight anyways. <laughs> um, so it's going to be interesting because there's suddenly like eight or nine cards that never had abilities... That only got played. Mm-hmm, only got played in one sort of deck. That suddenly, now all have things to do. Yeah, as soon as I started collecting, I mean, I don't have Patriot yet, so I don't have a Patriot deck. But and as soon as I started collecting enough cards with abilities, even if it was only an okay ability, it was beating out cards without them. So, and man, I had no interest in playing Patriot, and then I drew all the cards in a row to put together a Patriot deck, and I was like, well. Guess we're doing this. And I've been having fun with it. I still haven't been doing it a lot because discard is life. But Kazoo and on reveal. Dude, Zoo's fine. I've been... My destroy deck is getting pretty good, though. Like, I will say that. I'd say my f- my current my favorite's discard. My current second favorite might be just the different things you can do with Hit Monkey. I've been bouncing back and forth between like bounce style and more of like a Sarah miracle style with him, um, which is kind of a variation of a zoo deck, but not quite the same. And then probably Patriot. No, then mm, I do really like destroy. Oh, I like destroy. I really like playing around with bounce destroy and like basting my dead pool to get him big and stuff. Um, Anyway. All right, now that we've gone way deeper in the weeds of Marvel Snap than we probably needed to. Um, we could just do a Snap episode one day. There's a legitimate danger that you and I end up making a Snap podcast at some <laughs> point. <laughs> this, is, this is how we start doing YouTube content. <laughs> snap. <laughs> I'm in, actually, and I'm mad about that. Uh, okay, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will go from Marvel to DC. So we're not going to talk more about Marvel Snap, but I will say the curse of that game is I can no longer read a comic book without coming up with what I think the character's ability will be or like what the DC equivalent would be. Like, ooh, what would I do with this? <laughs> you know, Martian Manhunter would be like a moving character, yada, yada, yada. I could see Martian Manhunter basically being Vision. Yeah, which is kind of disappointing. But anyway, anyways, no, we're not. Okay, um, so this is part what part four four part four of our uh grant morrison jla run the we have finished up in my opinion one of the greatest team book runs of all time and now i'll concur the the side story stuff as i said we did not read earth two 
We will. You did not read Earth 2. I reread Earth 2. What's interesting is I was expecting Earth 2 to be the thing we spent the most time on. And when I went into this, this I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I won't go too deep. When I went into it, I was expecting it to be the one that I was like, yeah, this is the best of them by far. And it's probably the best of these three, but it's the one that is not as good as I remembered, while the other two are probably a bit better than I remembered them being. And part of it is it's going right into, in my opinion, Grant Morrison's worst decade as a writer, Mm. which is the first decade of the 2000s. Okay. Because it came out in like 2001. It came out Mm -hmm. a year or two after uh, his JLA run ended, because that ended in, I want to say, 99. And right before he jumped into New X-Men, which is one of the only Grant Morrison projects that I have ever actively disliked. Morrison and Marvel has always been a weird combo. He needs a lot more of the power of kind of myth and fairy tale, and DC just lends itself better to it. So I'll say I'm I'm pretty resolved to getting around to actually reading that run sometime soon, just because I'm curious what they do with it, but... Some people love it. I would not be at all surprised if you did, too. I keep yeah. meaning to try it again. I honestly think is the biggest problem he, is... Is that when they introduce Phantom X? And... Yes, mm-hmm. and that's stellar. He does some really good stuff with it. Phantom X, putting the school into being a full-scale school. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that I enjoy, and some of the stuff I don't like is not necessarily his fault. The the black costumes more based off the movies and the blah, blah, blah. And even that wasn't terrible. I thought Cyclops looked good. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's the right writer for X-Men in particular, partly because he's not the right guy for the soap opera aspects of... Right person. I'm sorry. I should be more. But uh, for what the X-Men are. Yeah. No. And that's why I'm like, I I think I will like it just because of how I respond to Morrison's writing. But I'm really curious how that's actually going to work out when I'm actually reading it. Because there's always a difference. Morrison very much had a thing. Well, okay. Two things. One, Morrison very much had a thing of there are too many mutants. I need to kill some of them off. And I don't like shock killing of B-level characters for effect. I just, it, it bores me. And then two, that is the storyline that for a long time ended the Jean Grey Cyclops romance. Mm. And I love Jean Grey and I just don't like Emma Frost. <laughs> so one of the core theses of that run is... And and as far as I'm concerned, Jean Grey and Cyclops are the heart and soul of the X-Men. They are like the core that everything else is actually built off of, as much as we think is Professor X. So I had just a fundamental disagreement with some of their core thesis to the story that I just clashed with it. It was, but I mean, it's Frank Whiteley art and like Frank Whiteley art will make weird panels, but overall is gorgeous. So yeah. Anyways, the Earth 2 is a very, it's an oddly straightforward story for a Grant Morrison story. Mm -hmm. Other than there's the theory of like, on Earth 2, evil always wins. On Earth 1, on the main DC universe, uh, good wins. 
Okay. And there's a little bit of like the power of opposite and stuff. And that was kind of interesting. But other than that, it was a surprisingly straightforward rebuilding of the crime syndicate concept that hadn't really been used in decades since before crisis. All of the costume upgrades are sincerely better. Yeah. Everything is better. I have flipped through it. Like it's great. Uh, I mean, it's Frank Whiteley art. As Mm -hmm. I said, there's some good stuff that is a absolutely beautiful Owlman costume, which we've talked about before. And we will talk about again. It's one (laughs) of the best redesigns I've ever seen because it's straightforward. It's a little weird to me because I'm used to like a lot more deeper meaning. And maybe there's a lot that I just wasn't picking up on. We know I'm not always the best at picking up on subtext. The thing I didn't like, and it's not necessarily the fault of this book, but it's something Grant Morrison did particularly a lot in like the eighties and nineties that I always hated was using BDSM sadomasochism, like themes and imagery to convey villainy. Oh, okay. Because like they very infamously in what is it? Serious house and Series earth wanted the Joker in full bondage and mm-hmm. DC wouldn't let him do it. Uh, Lois Lane had, who is Superwoman, has a kind of sadomasochistic master slave relationship with Jimmy Olsen, but not like an actually healthy one, but you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's part of just Grant Morrison's a bit kinky, I think, which go nuts. But when it always appears as kind of like, Oh, this isn't our Superman. This isn't our Lois. They're doing Weird. This is sex dungeon Superman. Dom stuff <laughs> with Jimmy Olsen in the Daily Planet broom closet. Like it. It just. They're taking turns being in the closet. I didn't like the connotations of it. Of like it's just the bad guys, but also like you know Superman's never gonna fucking do that. Morrison does explain some of the submission stuff more in their Wonder Woman Earth One series. Right. That I have only read the first volume of, but the first volume was very good. That's something I've been meaning to get to, especially because now I know it's on the app. Um, Because I actually remember listening to like a four-hour interview with them while they were in the process of writing it still. Oh, damn. So they were explaining like, yeah, like, it's like I'm trying to pull it back to like the origins of Wonder Woman. Well, yeah. Way. William Moulton Marston was a horny boy. Yeah. And Wonder Woman reflects that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, essentially just being like, yeah, I, I really just went back to the origins. That's where this is coming from. Just my take on it. So, but yeah. that's something you haven't read. No. So I, I just, I wanted to talk about some of the basic thoughts that I had about mm-hmm. it, but I don't want to like, dominate the podcast with something where you're like, that sounds interesting. Owl man does look cool. (laughs) God, James Wood sucks, but man, I can't not read him in James Wood. Thanks to crisis on two earths, which is maybe my favorite of the animated DC movies. Like trying to think what mine would be. I actually really liked gods and monsters. I do keep meaning to try that one out. I was really surprised at how much I liked it. Cause I was just like, what the hell is this one? When you 
And I even like Elseworld stories, and I'm just like, what is, whatever, I'm just going to put it on. It helped that Bruce Tim wrote it. Yeah. And, like, that doesn't always work, because their version of uh, Killing Joke that he wrote, and was not good, but also mm-hmm. Killing Joke is just showing the limits of the age of the story. Um. So, of the ones I did read, which should we hit first? Do you want to hit, let's do Wildcats first just because it came out first yep works for me uh so jla wildcats grant morrison is writer val semeckis is pencils semeckis i don't know the same one that was the artist for jla one million right has a kind of howard porterish style but with a much more i don't know something a little more classic 90s and a, a better sense of figure than Porter had, at least at the beginning of Porter's run. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about Wildcats because both of us love Wildcats, but I don't know. How much have you actually I've read? read? I So I've read very little, but I have a very big uh, affection for Wildcats because I loved the cartoon. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Which I know is like the watered down, like, okay for TV version of the Wildcats, but... Wildcats was always a little more Saturday morning cartoon okay for TV than its fan base really wants to admit, mm-hmm. for the most part. So you, uh, I assume then you have I never, have read some Wildcats. Have you ever read the Alan Moore run? No. Okay. One, I'll lend it to you because you know me. I'm not a big Alan Moore fan, and it's probably the best Wildcats to come out. Sweet. And some of my favorite Alan Moore stuff. Mm-hmm. It was during that period where he was like, I can do dark stuff, but I don't just have to be the Swamp Thing guy. Yeah, I read some of the OG run. I can't remember how far I got into it. It's not very good. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's Jim Lee. Yeah, yeah. That's. I was like, cool. I, I like looking at this. <laughs> got a huge oversize, and it's great. Anyways, this, I will say, takes place shortly after the Alan Moore run. They reference when we first see the Wildcats some of the stuff. And it's using kind of a team that is the, like, Let's take the biggest name Wildcats, the ones that will take the least amount of explaining right. kind of character archetype ones. Because there's actually a ton of them, right? There have been a lot of Wildcats. This is uh, this is kind of the original team, except it adds in Mr. Majestic, who didn't join until later. And it takes out Spartan and Voodoo and Lord Emp, who is the little guy who funds them slash leads them. So, and I don't know, I've not read, I've read past the Alan Moore run, but not, there's a gap that I've never read. So I don't know if this is part of it or if they mm. were just like, Grant, what do you want to do? And they're like, give me the most, as I said, like archetypal characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this. This is the Partially one because I much, like getting to see the Wildcats, but this is the one that I thought was better than I ex- I remembered it being. Mm-hmm. Partly, as I said, because I just enjoy the Wildcats so much. This takes place way early on in the uh, JLA run because it's still Electric Blue Superman, right? Which is a shame because it's always fun to watch Soups versus Mister Majestic when it shows up. Also, later, they just changed the name to Majestic, and it is a significantly better name to take out that mister. 
And like, I don't mind, you know, there's Dr. Midnight, Mr. Fantastic. You can miss Marvel. You can do it. But something about doing that in the Wildstorm universe felt weird. weird. Yeah. I'm just, I'm happy whenever Grifter shows up anywhere. This is some of my favorite this Grifter writing of all Grifter. time. So as a quick side note, the the story here is kind of nonsense, but it's a Wildcat story, so I kind of went in expecting that. There is Tempest, Master of Time, and it's a, a time-based supervillain that is using weird time energy things to basically update himself into a living machine time god. Yes, Thank you, Grant Morrison, for letting me say sentences like that. <laughs> but Tempest is paper thin as a character. The The storyline ends up making him supremely powerful and causing all these things that they definitely have to deal with. But it's kind of funny because they're not like fighting him most of the time. Mm-hmm. Most of the story is him completely separated from what all the heroes are doing and just like, going crazy on power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... And it's, it's finally it's, at the end that, like, they get their shit together enough to be like, cool, it kind of doesn't matter when this happens because it's all timey-wimey. As yeah, long as it happens, it's okay. It's a time travel thing, so you have a headache. Well, it, it's it's like that the, the joke. It's like, what do we want? Time travel. When do we want it? It's irrelevant. <laughs> This is fun because it enters in. There's a couple of points of Grant Morrison stuff I've picked up over the years that I don't know when I first read this, if I would have recognized it or whatever. Grant Morrison's all time favorite superhero costume is the original Kid Flash yellow. And honestly, the Flash costume is considered one of the greatest superhero costumes of all time. Generally. Like the classic red flash one. It's very simple. It's very sleek. It works with everything. It's still very unique and expressive, which is hard to do when it's an all red Mm -hmm. costume. For me, the kid flash costume is fine. I don't mind it. I don't adore it. I'm not a big enough fan of yellow. Yeah, exactly. There is a, a Wally West design they did for a couple years there about five years ago where it is basically the kid flash costume, but it's all red. Okay. So it's kind of a mix between the kid flash and the flash. So it's Mm -hmm. got the open hair of the kid flash, but otherwise is very like traditional flash. And I think I really like that costume. I think it's a a good balance of the two, Mm. but like they have multiple people here, including the artist to be like, damn Wally, you had a great costume back then. Like, uh, his current it's Flash fine. costume's better. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's fine. But you know what? Grant Morrison's writing this. Grant Morrison wants to talk up the Kid Flash costume. Go for it, buddy. Yeah. You've earned it. It is always weird to see a 90s villain go up against the like old school Silver Age stuff. So yeah. seeing, you know, <laughs> Tempest in his weird... Valsamekis does a good job of making an interesting looking villain, even if I don't think the villain himself is that interesting. But he's got this kind of like liquid metal armor that's changing shape around him as he goes. Mm -hmm. And you never get a single great look at him, but you you get the sense of like, oh, it's because it's literally morphing as it goes. Yeah. Also, when did Terminator 2 come out? That was like early 90s. Right. He has very hardcore Terminator 2 vibes and like. Terminator 2 
heavily affected the comic book industry for like 10 years. Is like, um, I was thinking like Terminator 2 meets like, I don't know, like a Super Sentinel. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Everything is very like bulky. The The shape of his helmet is a little Star Wars-y. I don't know. The whole thing is very weird. But anyway, it turns out Tempest, Master of Time, is traveling through time I kinda, trying to become a god. I, I love the idea of just like... Now that I have control of time, the way I'm going to beat time is like, I'm just going to pull this army from the future to just like kick ass a mm-hmm. thousand years beforehand. Classic way to go. The Justice League is chasing him. The Justice League team mm-hmm. is Batman, Superman, Blue Electric Superman, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and The Flash. Because they could have solved most of the problems that this comes through by bringing Martian Manhunter into the story. M.M. John could have finished this story in like page 10. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's fair. Every once in a while, you just have to have a smaller team because another character would break. I'm not actually judging on that, but I just kept being like, fuck, you really wish John was here on this one. I know it's jumping forward just a little bit, but like, what was the thing that made Grifter just sit out where he's like, fuck this noise. I'm just going to sit here until we figure out what the fuck's going on. Um, I, I, cause that almost had me rolling. Yeah. That was so funny. Oh, Batman. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, he starts pulling out his gun to shoot Batman and Batman just takes it from him. And he's like, all right, we're done. (laughs) We're just, I'm not gonna. Okay. And to understand this, and I'll we'll go. This is actually a good place to go into Wildcats. You have to understand that Grifter is somewhere a combination of Gambit, Wolverine, and Nick Fury, if they were trained by an angrier Wonder Woman. Yeah, that's a good way to go about it. <laughs> that is, it's everything Jim Lee thinks is awesome, which isn't wrong. Hundred percent correct. Grifter's design, it's very 90s with the big trench coat, but, like, it's so good. It's perfect. It's so good. Like, the Deadpoolish mask and, like. And it's just tied. Yeah, like, it's just it, tied. It's just a tied on. It's just a, a thing. Okay, so the Wildcats that they do on this one, and tell me specifically if there's any of these you don't know, but we'll go over them a little bit. Majestic, or Mr. Majestic is commonly known. Grifter, Zealot, Void, and Maul. Uh, I had read some of all of them. Void and Maul were the two that I remembered the least. It's fair. So, just, I'm going to go, there's one of these, I love it when comics used to do this, like there'd be a big splash page or something, and then like when two teams intersect, one side would have just like the face appearances of one team and the other, the other. So, uh... Majestic is the Wildstorm equivalent of Superman, but he is not the Wildstorm equivalent of Clark Kent. Right. Magistros. Magistros, whose name is almost as bad as Blackagar Boltagon, which means it's almost as good as Blackagar Boltagon, because both things are true simultaneously, a.k.a. Black Bolt, uh, is a Carabim warlord. Now, one of the ongoing bits of the Wildstorm universe is the idea that the uh, two alien races have been affecting Earth for generations, the Carabim and the Daemonites. 
which is, you know, the cherubs and the demons. demons. It, it's yeah. angels and demons, but through a sci-fi lens. Mm -hmm. Sci-fi superhero lens. Yes. He's a Caribbean warlord, and one of the kind of running things is at first it seems like the Caribbean are like, they're warlike and almost a little fascisty, but they're definitely the good guys versus the Daemonites, which are somewhere between the body snatchers and the aliens from Alien. Right. But it will later turn out that they're not necessarily great people, the Caribbean themselves, and even Majestic, who wants to save the world, really kind of thinks of himself as the warlord leader of this world, as opposed to necessarily like it's the protector of hero. the Lord. Yeah. The like, world. I am looking after this world because it's part of my domain as opposed to Superman. Like I am protecting the people of this world because I'm one of them. It's a, it's a Johnny Marcone. I'm the Baron of Chicago. That's a, yes, exactly. Or Clea, if you've read the most recent Strange series. But we'll get to that on a different podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, Grifter, the most famous, as I said, it's... Because he's the best. Wolverine, Nick Fury. With a bit of Gambit, but that's mostly style. Because mm -hmm. Jim Lee designed Gambit and obviously thought that it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> he is trained by Zealot, who we will get into much more. But that means that he has CODA training, which is basically violent Wonder Woman training. He is a former Black Ops agent of Nick Fury Wolverine levels. He's got not always alien guns. And as time went on, they switched much more to modern weapons. Yeah. I like the alien guns better because he's part of a secret alien Cold War. So you might as well have them. But I like them whenever they don't make them look like 50s ray guns. That's fair. They do a good job in this one. Yeah. Like, yeah. But sometimes they have that little bit more like bulbous, like the little like almost point like, at the end with a little ball on the mm -hmm. end. And you're like that. Where's the fins? This is the fucking Jetsons right now. Calm yeah. down. Uh, yeah. Uh, Marvin the Martian uses that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, ooh, that's even better in the Jetsons. Next, we have Zealot, who is definitely angry, violent Wonder Woman. If Midnighter of Wildstorm is angry, gay Batman, Zealot is murder Wonder Woman. Yes. <laughs> she is... A, they might, you know, in the, the gods and monsters, they might as well use, they should have just used Zealot for the one would have been standing. Would have worked, yeah. Uh, she is another Caribbean warlord. She does not have the same level of powers, but she does seem to have the whole immortality. The The power levels of the Caribbean has always been a little vaguely defined, partly because there's a hierarchical system much like the angels, because again, the the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. uh, but she is sent, uh, she's trapped on Earth when their ship crashes and she creates the Coda Sisterhood, which is a basically murder warrior nun sisterhood that the Caribbean had, but she does an Earth version. And then I think she later gets kicked out, but like keeps practicing it because she fucking made it. Who's going to stop her? <laughs> right. Like, this was mine, guys. During uh, the Cold War, she enters into a relationship with Grifter and they have a whole, like, star-crossed lovers kind of thing. Uh, and he is the only male ever trained in Coda. the Coda. Then we have Void. <laughs> He's the Kwisatz Haderach. <laughs> yeah, basically. Wolverine, Logan, Paul Atreides, or Wolverine, Nick Fury, Paul Atreides. He is most of the time a dormant telepath telekinetic. Yeah. That 
has freaky weird conditions it, if he, he overuses has it. Some level of superpowers that has I think more to do with the gen active, which is there's two ways you can get superpowers generally in Wildstorm at least at the beginning. Either you have Carabim or Damonite blood or kind of mutants, but it was activated by a comet. Right. Um I just re- I just remember that whenever he actually like actively uses those powers it tends to fuck him up too. It's kind of like early Constantine. Yeah. Where he's got the powers but he can't necessarily yeah. Then we have Void who is a former Russian cosmonaut who I think went through a dimensional portal. It was never quite clear in those early appearances cuz Wildcats 1 was hardcore flash over substance. (laughs) It was so pretty, though. And she has some awareness of the future, and she is kind of a higher-level being that has brought herself back down to our level to help prevent an apocalypse. Okay. And mostly hangs out and is weird. She's the mysterious glowing lady that can teleport you places. And then Maul is a variation of the Hulk. Yes. He is a super genius who has not Carabim, but a different alien DNA involved. And he turns into an angry purple guy in a green costume because Tote's not the Hulk, who can grow in size. But the bigger he gets, the dumber he gets. So he can actually grow smaller, too. And he can get even more scary smart than he already was scary smart. Right, because he's already, like, Nobel Prize winning. He's already Bruce Banner. Or he can grow giant, but he if he grows too big, he literally loses the ability to think higher functions. He just kind of becomes a kaiju at a point. <laughs> at some point, he basically forgets to breathe. That sucks. Yeah. So there's... <laughs> Maul is the character, like, he should be the strongman, but like Colossus in a lot of stories, he isn't strongman enough to actually yeah. do much other than get tossed around a lot, except for, like... Well, time to lift this boulder that we all were almost crushed under. Time for Maul. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like I said earlier, a lot of this storyline doesn't actually involve the heroes or the villains being anywhere close to each other. Mm-mm. Because they kind of get time stranded. And then they end up beating each other up. I Grifter watching the fight and commentating and Grifter being weird buddies with Batman makes this story. Yes. <laughs> Everything it's else so that happens good. is fun, but like um the the whole thing with Tempest ends up kind of reminding me of like a good Doctor Who story where like the Dark Nova event that started it off, you find out in the end wraps around with is they end up trapping him in a time loop where he became the Dark Nova that sets it off in the first place. There's a reason Grant Morrison applied to become the new showrunner for Doctor Who at one point. <sighs> How great would that have been? They I mean, it would have been. There's parts of it that I guarantee actually would have been bad. Oh, yeah. And they talked about it being like, I did some writing for them and I learned a lot and like, I'm going to do it in the future. They were very confident that <laughs> they were one day going <laughs> to run Doctor Who after... But Who knows? Great. More, go for it. Um, I think it could really work. I just, it was funny to me. But yes, there's some very, anytime Grant Morrison touches time travel, it gets Doctor Whoey is all fuck. And it's easy to accidentally go Doctor Whoey the moment you go time travel. But Grant Morrison's already the mad British whimsy dude. So. I, um, I, I think he's, 
I think they'd kind of be perfect for it because I, I can't remember how, uh, if we've discussed this too much. The great thing about Morrison is that at the heart of it all, they still feel like their superheroes need to have hope mm-hmm. and fun. That's what I didn't like about their X-Men. There was no, I didn't have that sense of mm. fun. But I mean, I think that ties into what we were talking about with them loving the Kid Flash costume. It's part of what I mean of they write superheroes as myth and fairy tale. And it's easy to go wrong with that because I've seen other writers do it as shit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's the same reason those early Stephen Moffat, Matt Smith episodes worked where he wrote the doctor as a fairy tale. Yeah. The only other thought I have on this one, other than like watching Grifter be like, all right, I'll do this without guns because Batman double dog dared me basically (laughs) is uh, they both of the teams are sucked out of time. They stop fighting each other. They get together. Really, there was a huge point of like, let's have these people fight because it'll be fun. And it was it was fun, but it's because they all kind of have like matchups other than Green Lantern and Maul. But yeah, that's not the greatest matchup. That's a terrible matchup, but whatever. Um, Void Flash was an interesting matchup. Yes, but it should have been Green Lantern Void, in my yes. opinion. But there wasn't a Flash equivalent, and at least Void can teleport, so they can like change stuff up. But no, it's the bit where there's a timeline that uh, Tempest has taken over, and like they're figuring out what happened, and it's the way that majestic and Superman disguise themselves is they just steal two trench coats and fedoras and hide in an alley being like hide in the shadows being like, tell us what happened. <laughs> and then they're like, now it's time. But Superman is still glowing blue. And like it doesn't, and it's cool. And it's a really good panel where Superman, do they have glowing eyes also in that panel? I don't, yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, they do. But like Superman pulls open the jacket and it's a reminiscent of the classic Superman, like tearing open his shirt look, which is one of the most iconic comic book panels you can ever do. But it's electric blue and it's, you know, 90s. There there is a second up at the top of that page when um, when you're just looking at them still in shadow where the. I don't think he wears the fedora as part of this outfit too much, but there was a part of me when I first turned that page where I was like, matches Malone. (laughs) (laughs) That actually would have worked better, but they just wanted to do the Superman. And then like the following page or like when you turn the page, there's a great, great splash page of both Mm -hmm. teams charging forward. It's in some ways, nothing to write home about because it's a standard both teams going forward. What this is, and I think it's Grant Morrison understanding the assignment, you need to have both teams fight in a good multi-page fight scene. And then two, Wildcats is a Saturday morning cartoon. They do literally shit with it. But yeah, no, but like even (laughs) it's what it's designed to be. Yeah. It's it's more style over substance. And it yeah, (laughs) and even when they put deeper shit into it, like even the really good stuff like Wildcats 2.0, where they move away from that a little bit, what's missing is that Jim Lee design aspect. I mean, Jim Lee designed the the character designs for X-Men, the animated series. He is the king 
of the Saturday morning cartoon look for our generation. It's him and Bruce Tim who did Batman the animated series. Like no one else comes close. Mm-hmm. And so Morrison looked at these Jim Lee designs and went, all right, let's make it a cartoon. I've always been kind of disappointed in uh, shortly before they gave up and just shuttered the entire Wildstorm line because it had gone off the rails and they let it go completely off the rails as this failed. There was this event called Worldstorm that yeah. was a minor reboot of Wildstorm to try to like clean it up. And Grant Morrison was supposed to write both the Authority and Wild and uh, Wildcats. Okay. And they released one issue of Wildcats before it completely fell apart. And they released a couple issues of Authority before other people stepped in and kind of finished it up. But it was Grant Morrison writing Wildcats as a like new exploration of what superheroes are and can be with Jim Lee on the art. During if Grant Morrison's worst period was the early 2000s, it's possible that Jim Lee's best period was that same decade Mm -hmm. because his art had grown up from some of what he was doing with the early Wildstorm stuff. And they had moved on from some of the like giant shoulder pads that were still so prevalent in the late eighties, early nineties designs. And it had just gotten so clean, but like, and you know, it's Jim Lee. His art is still fucking great. But since the new 52, it has almost gotten too detailed. Like we have to have every little seam and we have to have these extra lines for some fucking reason. Cause it looked <laughs> cool in the Marvel movies. You know, Flash has to have a bunch of glowing yellow lines that, like, have lightning coming off of them, completely ruining the simplistic beauty of the Flash (laughs) costume. I will never get over this, but we're moving on. So it was just the synergy between the two. And Grant Morrison, I don't know what happened on this book. Grant Morrison described it as a fucking disaster. I believe that's their exact words. (laughs) But, man, I wanted... Yeah, more of this. That would have been great. Also, when I say Wildcast was a Saturday morning cartoon, it was an adult Saturday morning cartoon. One of the characters is a stripper. Not the best portrayed stripper, but a lot more positive depiction of some level of sex work than anything else coming out. In, <laughs> what was it, 1989 when yeah. Wildcats, 1992? Something like that. I don't know, like early 90s. So it was... Voodoo's an interesting character, as problematic as the name kind of is for the character. (laughs) And then JLA Classified? One through three, which is a mostly a prequel to Seven Soldiers. Right. Which I'm going to have to reread Seven Soldiers now. Yeah. Which I'm not going to have a problem with. No, I just just out of print and I'm annoyed about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't. I've read all of Seven Soldiers, but I remember there are certain ones. Zatanna was a high point. I don't remember enjoying the Bulleteer, but I want to try it again. Right. I don't remember enjoying the Bulleteer that much either. Bulleteer was also purposefully trying to tap into some of the cheesecake Mm -hmm. comics of like Lady Death and stuff. And while the art tends to be strong, and I think it was Unique Panette, whatever. I can't even pronounce that name, especially without looking at it. Uh, Paquette? I don't know. It's going to be good art, but it's, you know, not. It's still cheesecake writing, even if it's Grant Morrison doing it. 
The was it the Subway Pirates are great though. Man, the fucking uh, Manhattan Guardian might be the best of them. Manhattan Guardian is it slaps. Oh, seven. Anyway, this is the lead up to that. Um, I was not expecting Grodd to eat so many people. <laughs> Grodd ate so many people. Grant Morrison wrote Flash at one point, and I don't remember because I haven't read that run in like 10 years, but I think they did a pretty good job of making some of the Flash villains a little scarier. Because mm-hmm. Grodd is terrifying. Grodd should be scary, and it, it he's not. Always. Right. This Grodd is scary, but also an idiot, which I think is a like good balance with Grodd. Little, little too full of himself. Yeah. Cause he is super intelligent, but he's not using that to further his ends past any given point. Also, he's a fucking bigot, which keeps being what falls apart. I love the line though of like, Apes evolved from man. Darwin lied in his book after he discovered the terrible truth or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, real quick, Ed McGinnis on art here. Ed McGinnis, probably best known for either the Batman Superman series he wrote with uh, or did the art for with Jeff Loeb that they did a couple of movies based off of mm-hmm. or some runs on Hulk. And being launching the Jason Aaron Avengers run and the amazing X-Men. run, Those two work together a lot and it's a good combo. McGinnis is another Saturday morning cartoon style. Like there's something he's got that, that thick line. And uh, it's not that there's not a lot of detail, but it's very much a believer in bold. Yeah. There's not a, million pages of cross hatching there. It, it, it believes in using every inch of the page, but not in a way of like 8,000 lines. This is not a wildly powerful story. It does bring in several things that I appreciate. Uh, turns out I really like the ultramarines. That's it. I, yes, the ultramarine core is super awesome. This is the book that made me realize that I think Knight and Squire are, fucking sweet and I talked about them before they've come up but Knight and Squire are the British Batman and Robin that Grant Morrison has a habit of sneaking into books and being like and purposely throwing in lines that indicate that their story just continues in the background yes and that we just don't know about it it's great I love it it's it's such a dickhead move, but in like a really interesting, the world is bigger than we see way. Mm-hmm. There's just been hundreds of Knight and Squire adventures that we've never. That I want to see. Yeah. Is the thing. <laughs> like, Yeah, I think. I'm trying to think. So what I, I legit just read this a couple hours ago. And what was the storyline on this one? Oh, they're in the. The, the League, except for Batman, are in the... the Infinite Universe of Quirk, which is them just wanting to... Thank you, Grant Morrison. They're yes. inside the Infinite Universe of Quirk. Quirk, spelled Q-W-E-R-Q? Q, I think, yeah. Meanwhile, Gorilla Grodd has been waiting for the JLA to be off-planet so they can grab a supervillain team to take over... Because his plan is to try to take over the planet, but he knows that if he tries to take over the planet, that's a JLA-level threat, and he can't <laughs> quite take them on. 
Now, this does bring up the problem of, like, where are the fucking Titans during this? Like, the Titans mm-hmm. during this period are strong, too, so that would be a thing. But anyways, he uses it to take over, what did they call this planet, or this floating city, Superopolis? Oh, um... Well, he renames it to Grillopolis. Uh-huh, but it had something like yeah. that before. It was part of the original... Superbia? Superbia, that's it. Because um, I kept wanting to read it as suburbia. It, it, <laughs> it was part of... It tied into part of JLA 1 million and the original Ultramarine Corps story. I really do think the Ultramarine Corps had more legs than anyone has ever given them. They, they would be a great one to bring in as a, like... Fuck, here's yes. a nowhere team that's... They got some strong designs, too. Mm-hmm. Well, between Val Semeckis and Howard Porter and now Ed McGinnis. Uh, like, I legitimately just like looking at whenever they were on yeah. panel. But anyways, the, the idea was they created a weird floating city. And it is not just populated by superheroes, but we get the sense that it is a significant portion of them are various superpowered characters from across the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that Jack O'Lantern character is. I don't think they call him that. He's um, Jack O'Lantern. Yeah. Oh, he is Jack O'Lantern. It's a great design. And I love the, the love hate relationship going on between him and Knight that like is mostly hate, but they work really well together and they know that they work really well together. Yeah. Um, but Gorilla Grodd takes them over Squire is the only one that escapes and manages to call Batman which has nice little moments Grant Morrison's got such a good understanding of Batman even in the parts of his storytelling that I disagreed with Um, and I didn't agree with all of of Grant Morrison's Batman run so so I just had to look it up real quick I think technically this is the second Jack-O-Lantern the first jack-o'-lantern was in the background on one of the panels that we saw in Crisis on Infinite Earths because he's a very uh he's a hero that's very tied to Ireland and when they were showing heroes defending Ireland he was one of the ones. Mm, okay, yeah. He's shown up I I've seen him in a couple of back panels. I just don't know mm-hmm. anything about him. I just think it's a great design. So much better than Jack-o'-lantern from Marvel with the big stupid pumpkin head. But I love that one Batman's like, "Well, you were able to access the Batcave, so clearly you're good enough at communications to access, to track down the Justice League in the infinite u- or infant universe of Quirk. Same thing. And the idea that Batman just has the sci-fi room, or the sci-fi <laughs> yeah. closet. And when you open <laughs> I it up... I love Batman basically being like, well, <clears throat> shit's about to get weird. Well, and did you look at what's in the sci-fi closet I, when you look I at it? I don't think I saw everything that was in it. There's a Hawkman harness. Right. There is a Robbie the Robot claw. Mm-hmm. There's a Dalek. Oh, shit. <laughs> there is the Iron Giant's head. Oh, damn, that is Iron Giant's head. And the ray gun is, I think, from Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, but, like... I think you're probably It is a specific 50-style ray gun, but I'm not sure whose specific 50-style ray gun it is. Um, I also like that he's talking to Alfred. Do you remember the Earl of Wardenshire, Alfred? The English Batman? His son, Cyril, replaced him when the knight was murdered by his archenemy, Spring-Heeled Jack, the evil black sheep of the royal family. Don't you keep up with this stuff? 
and like just introduce so much more story than Knight has ever gotten, really. And uh, Alfred's response, I prefer online shopping, sir. Having said that, I do still send Christmas cards to the surviving members of the Heroes Club, including young Sir Cyril. And the idea that, like, Alfred is such a believer in, like, the proper way of doing things that people are getting annual Christmas cards from the Bat family. Yeah, that's great. Do you think do you think they take a Christmas photo? No, I think well, okay, it's Do you pos- think Alfred makes them take a Bat family I was gonna say, Christmas photo? It's possible photo? Alfred makes them do it. It's also possible that Alfred's just a believer in like snapshot photography of- with no one's paying attention. Or I was going to say it's a believer in the power of Photoshop. <laughs> So, I mean, it kind of varies. Like, a lot of people would be like, Batman would never do that. But considering that my favorite Batman is the Webtoons uh, Batman Wade Family Adventures, where they are a family and Alfred would 100% guilt them all into it, I'm going with that. So there's, like, smiling Batman all being, or, you know, a whole Bat family, except for Jason Todd, who I'm sure, well, he's dead during this period. But still, I'm sure is wearing the ugliest Christmas sweater that Dick Grayson forced him to put on. And frowning while everyone else is smiling, including a very uncomfortable looking Bruce. I love it. Oh, man. There's this um, an ongoing plot line in DC going forward in the modern day right now is that Amanda Waller has decided and has gotten permission to kill all superheroes. Okay. Connected to the light, a.k.a. the young justice like supervillains. And um, she declares open season and is there is like a bounty and a pardon to any supervillain that kills a superhero. Okay. So kind of an open sandbox suicide squad. Right. And uh, they show a picture of basically Nightwing and friends all like smiling with the uh, like targets on their faces. And it makes sense with like Donna Troy and Beast Boy and uh, Starfire and Nightwing. And then there's like Jace Fox, the the Batman of New York, the the next Batman. And he's smiling too. And I'm like, that's a little weird, but okay. And then like you see Damien and Bruce smiling. I'm like, okay, how? <laughs> I know you're Dick Grayson, but damn, son. <laughs> like that's impressive that you got not just those two to smile, but both of them at the same time. That's funny. That's funny. Anyways, in this, I do like that Batman just has a secret science lab, or I guess the JLA have a secret science lab on Pluto. And he's like, all right, I'm uh, taking you to Pluto, Squire. You have to uh, save, get them out of the infant universe of Quark where they're lost. And I'm going to take these robots to go fight Grodd. It's weird that Superman has the Superman robots that just look like him. But all the JLA robots are like these shit ass. Yeah. <laughs> basic robots without even like fake skin or anything like. Yeah, but I don't know. But whatever. It's kind of fun for the story, I guess. I was kind of surprised that they figured out. I mean. They're shit-ass robots, so I wasn't surprised because of that, but I was kind of surprised just for the sake of story how quickly it was figured out that they were robots. Yeah, they weren't super interested in that part. Oh, quick side note, Grodd has teamed up with uh, Nebulo, 
who Nebu. is a bigger part, I believe, of the Seven Soldiers mm-hmm. story, but I haven't read him in long enough to say. Nebulo is a modern version of Nebula Man. Nebula Man was a big... One of the big Seven Soldiers story was a JLA-JSA crossover where it turns out that the Seven Soldiers had died taking out Nebula, uh, Nebula Man, and they had to, like, track down... I don't know, tchotchkes left by the various seven soldiers, and you learned a bit about each one, and then, it, yeah, it's a whole... But it's a very famous seven soldier story, so it makes sense that they would bring in mm-hmm. Nebulo for this. Just worth mentioning, I guess. How they're controlling... How Grodd is controlling these people is a little confusing to me, because on one hand, he's Grodd, the psychic gorilla, so he can kind of just do it anyways... On the other, he's teamed up with Nebulo, who has his own goals. Mm-hmm. And Nebulo seems to be using the Sheeta, who are basically just pixies. Yeah. <laughs> to control people. The Sheeta being a other dimensional fairies. If if the Carabim and the Daemonites are angels and demons, the Sheeta are just... The, space fairies. The sheed, yeah, the space fairies, the dimensional fairies, the whatever you want to call them. Down to being tiny little blue pixie things. And Nebulo is setting up for, I want to say, the Sheeta Queen. Again, I it's been so long since I fucking read. Something like that. I, yeah. I remember reading this being like, I don't know what's happening, but the Ed McGinnis art is really pretty and it's cool. It is fun to see the JLA... In the infinite universe of Quirk, I just I have to say the whole thing every time. I'm sorry. Uh, where there are no superheroes, and so they're doing full on undercover mm-hmm. superheroing, which one was the superheroes without the costumes and without the flashiness was kind of a thing of the era. Thanks again to Wildstorm in a lot of cases, but. Uh, and I don't know if this was Grant Morrison experimenting with that or if Grant it was Grant Morrison kind of disapproving of that. Oh. Because it's hard to say. I mean, a lot of it can even be traced down to Constantine. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm saying it that because way. Because that's the proper I, one. I know, but I never <laughs> do. But, like, I, he started that, you know, I'm just a dude just a in dude. a bad suit fighting, in his case, demons and shit. But, like fighting demons, fighting crime, fighting whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's really commentary on that. It's just Grant Morrison, like, kind of poking at an idea that was getting more popular. And, I like, like uh, there was no, there's no superheroes on Quirk. So, in the end, the Ultramarines get to go there. Yeah. Which is hilarious, because the Ultramarines, they're, they're shown there. But one of them has a big robot body. <clears throat> And he's still just wearing the big robot body. Like (laughs) he just put on a jacket over it. Like that is not hiding anything. I did think the reasoning was a little bit funny where soups is like, uh, I'm not comfortable with a group that is as willing to kill as you guys are. Your shit doesn't work. Go try something new. Here's a place that needs help. Well, (laughs) but what he kind of said was, this world, because of us, is already too civilized for your guys' tactics, but we know a great world that hasn't had superheroes yet, so you can kind of brute force them around a little bit to start. Yeah, 
Um, it obviously doesn't work because we see the Ultramarine Corps get taken out. It's like a panel in Final Crisis like a few years later. <laughs> also by Morrison. Right. <laughs> I do like, and I'm actually going to read this a little bit because I actually really liked this argument. And I've always thought about it when everyone's like, no, the Punisher should is right. You should just kill. Uh, Warmaker one was trying to defend his team. You know, we were under control, yada, yada, yada. Or we weren't under control. We were being controlled, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Superman says, you were a disaster waiting to happen, Warmaker. Superheroes who don't mind killing to achieve their ends can be a dangerous in the wrong hands. If it hadn't been for the bravery of the Squire, who knows what might have happened? Don't you realize death is no object to most of the enemies we deal with? Point one, that's a really good fucking point. Quite frankly, as an alternative to some of the super punishments we've had to devise over the years, execution's a walk in the park. Point two. That's <laughs> like, death is kind of better than the Phantom Zone. Yeah. And the Phantom Zone's relatively tame compared to some of the stuff they've done. These no-nonsense solutions of yours just don't hold water in a complex world of jet-powered apes and time travel. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line because, one, it's 100% correct. Their, their world is way too complicated. But two, we tend to write off superhero comics as this like very simplified world of good and evil. And here's Superman being like, we are way too fucking freaky to be as like black and white as you're putting it with we should just kill. I do think that that ties back around a little bit to something we brought up in the, the first episode when we were talking about Morrison and how uh, their writing of the JLA is uh, giving them status akin more to gods. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminded me of uh, just Superman bringing up that point of like, we've had to come up with crazy ass punishments is like um, Hades. Or Zeus. Yeah. A lot of the Zeus punishments. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of like Greek pantheon type shit. In fairness, a lot of the Zeus punishments were because Zeus was minorly annoyed. Right. So he does (laughs) shitty things as opposed to this like, well, Tempest, you almost destroyed two universes. So we're going to trap you in this time loop now. (laughs) Have fun. You get to be stuck in the week where you were losing your mind. (laughs) God damn. It is the best week of your life, though. Hey, yeah, because you will rule mm-hmm. for one week. That actually is, like, one of the nicer things they've done. Or, like, you know, let's mind wipe all the Martians so they think they're humans. <laughs> and just put them in jobs of civil service. Here you go. <laughs> Making one a firefighter was a mistake, but okay. <laughs> yes. We covered that already. Yes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm trying to think what else from this one. I did really, really like this one. Yeah, I don't... It's another one that they said didn't really work, and I thought it worked really well. Yeah. But Ultramarines are cool. Ultramarines are so cool. They are the best part of this. I remember reading this being like, I need to know everything. And then I read the other one and went, Ah, oh, crap, now that was I everything? Every, now <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> That'd be a great book to relaunch. Because every once in a while, they love to do, here's this unmined idea, so we're doing a big relaunch. Here's these 15, you know, Green Lantern, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Arrow, Flash, yada, yada, all the big name books, the JLA, the Titans, yada, 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 a couple of, like, mid-names, and then 
some out of nowhere fucking characters. Like when they did, they did this with a Grant Morrison creation, Frankenstein agent of shade. Right. Do that with the ultramarine core. Lean into some of that Saturday morning cartoon, lean into some of that kind of wild storm thematic stuff, but also the, like, I don't know. There's just, there's untapped potential in this team. And one thing Morrison has talked about, I want the ultramarines to just become part of the wildcats or that world or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh God, an ultramarine core wildcats crossover is everything my born in 1988 (laughs) soul needs. But yeah, there's that big, those big, beautiful, bombastic designs. There's the whole range of stuff. There's the idea that they've had high class, world class adventures the whole time that they Mm -hmm. are maybe not the league, but they're still you, you can do They're it in, there. You can do it in the same way that like Justice League Elite, which was a spinoff kind of Black Ops League book that was actually really fucking good. But you can do the um, this is these people solve the problems the league don't. Yeah. <laughs> what if what I want if, them to be Midnighter? Well, OK, what if they were um, lower decks? Like, what if they were the follow-up team? <laughs> I don't know if it would work, but that idea is pretty great. <laughs> but yeah, no, they go... I wouldn't necessarily do it as, like, we suck in the right, same right. way that Lower Decks does. But yeah, it's a similar idea. They follow up. They go the places the league can't or won't. I wouldn't lay them out as we are a proactive superhero team because that doesn't work. Those team books always fall apart almost immediately. Because the concept fails as soon as a supervillain realizes what they're doing and attacks them in a way they don't see coming. Mm -hmm. It breaks the entire idea. Every team book that has ever been will be the proactive superheroes. Superheroes are too reactive. Follows that same thing. Yeah. But like, the I hate to call it the B team because that sounds insulting, but like... The B team. Well, you know, they're there to help out when the Martian invasion is happening. They're if the JLA's the Harlem Globetrotters, they're the Washington Generals. I wouldn't even go that bad, but like, you know, they're They're there. They're on the court. They've beat the Globetrotters more than anybody else. If the if the JLA's the Premier League, they can be the champion league. Yeah. You know, JLA might be dealing with some weird new star god, but Fucking, I don't know, Despero is still showing up sometimes or Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I mean, kind of what the outsiders were back in the day. Yeah, I could see that. We need more ultramarines. I think that's the takeaway. You and I just need to be hired at DC Comics already. We have proposed like six different series that are all baller across. I still think our Adam Strange, Hugo Strange. Strange. Series is the best idea we've ever had, just as a podcast. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, Ultramarines need so much more love. They're so good. They're so good. And Knight and Squire, do those as your dominant two characters. But yeah. still, yeah. I don't think I have anything more. No, I mean, I could talk more about these, but like, I don't want to get too in the weeds simultaneously. These are much more popcorn comics than the other ones were. I was about to say, the, compared to the... Uh, we still end up with, like, a villain being trapped in a time loop. But that being <laughs> said, these were very straightforward. Well, and they kind of have to be. 
It's one thing when you were telling an ongoing series that you're going to write the better part of 40 issues of. JLA Classified, he had three issues. Wildstorm or Wildcats JLA, I'm trying to look that up now. It's like I, a 61 page, something like that. Yeah, it was a single issue. It's an oversized issue. I would guess 80 pages at the most. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you read it on the app. So I, if you say 61, it was... Yeah, I want to say it's 61, something like that. Wish they had done 80 because I missed the old 80-page giants. That's how they, what Mm. they called them back in the day. Uh, It was the equivalent of Marvel's giant size. Size. Yeah. I'm Uh, sorry. We're coming up on giant size man thing, aren't we? I don't know if we're reading giant size man thing. I don't know if that one was a... I mean, we're going to, we're going to figure out a reason to read Giant Size Man We will reference Giant Size Man. Okay, that's for a different podcast. And thanks to timing, I'm not sure when that's coming out in relation to the podcast we're recording now. (laughs) So uh, we'll stop talking about that. But we're both really looking. we have to stop talking about Giant Size Man thing? We're both really (laughs) looking forward to the Man Thing episode of uh, New Byland. And if you are interested in learning more, go check out New Byland. Good plug, me. (laughs) (laughs) Next time, we are diving into what we are roughly dubbing the Summer of Anime. Yeah. Which is not a great name, but whatever. It's a theme. And I don't think it's going to line up perfectly with Summer. Anime because Girl Summer. <laughs> waifu Summer. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come up with something better for it. But we are doing, at least we are recording across the summer. When it'll come out, it's a little different now that we have a backlog finally. But still... Um, all anime for the next, I believe, six episodes, give or take. Yeah, I don't remember what they all are, but you probably do. I know what three or four of them are, and then we had one or two wars? that we were. <laughs> the next two are Food Wars. I think we're going to do Comey Can't Communicate, which is a series that I recently watched that I just adore. We'll do at least one, and we'll do the second season, depending on your opinion of it. Okay. Uh, and then we're not sure we might do some older anime. We might do some Gundam. We haven't, we've kind of purposely kept it a little up in the air. Steven will be back. We still have shit to get through before we get to those ones anyway. I think so. Yeah. There's Mm -hmm. so much shit. We, I I think I'm going to try to get Tiffany back on for some stuff. So we might have some Digimon. That'd be fun. Uh, but anyways, next time food wars season four, which I straight up thought we'd already done. (laughs) Um, we've done over a hundred episodes of these. Sometimes there is that like, didn't we have we been here before? Is this a conversation we had? Okay. We'll find out. Well, anyways, <laughs> um, but for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed. Hi everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. However you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us, however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple podcasts, we would super appreciate it as the whole world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all.
Have a good one.